Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Coming up on today's show, more Elden Ring is on the way. Esports are officially joining the Olympics. And Brit saw Resident Evil 4, and you know she's got thoughts. And welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I am one of your hosts, Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Brittany Brombacher. Hello, hi, it's me. But yeah, they made him way too hot. It's unfair. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear more grunts about it in just a little bit. Also, Mrs. Rihanna Manuel Pena is here. Hello, hey. hello. It's so I good to it. have you two back from Dice. Aw, yeah. thanks. It was great to have Lisa on the show. I would oh. love to do a show with her one time. Yes. Well, she's moving to L.A. <laughs> well, look at that. Well, I guess you're going to have to come visit, Brittany. Just for Lisa, not for you. Well, th- <laughs> thanks. That's a... Uh, Feels bad, man. Uh, but welcome, everybody, to the show. Whether it's your first episode or your 316th episode, we're glad that you are joining us. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a spicy show this week. <laughs> we also have a fantastic special interview later on in the show where we talk to Dr. B and Dr. Cohort from Take This about some of the fantastic things that they are working on, including some very interesting research about identity fusion that Dr. Cohort is doing. So stick around for that a little bit later on in the show. But we do have some fun news to get to. But before we do that, I want to thank this month's Patreon producers, Chewie's Godson, Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris Atia, Justin Voshi, and Punctified. And we'll be doing our patron shoutouts a little bit later on in the show. And if you guys want to support our voices and video games, you can do so at patreon.com slash what's good games. And we also have a little bit of an update on what's happening at PAX East in Boston. So you may have heard us announce that our What's Good Games live panel is going to be on Thursday, March 23rd. That is, in fact, inaccurate. It has been moved to Friday, March 24th at 8.30 p.m. That's right, baby. What's good after dark? Oh, it's going to be glorious. It's 100% going to be apple juice in my water bottle. I promise you. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Dark, fizzy (laughs) apple juice. I mean, we have to hydrate at the end of the long day of PAX. So yeah. We're also going to be planning a What's Good meetup on Saturday, March 25th. So stick around for more details. And by stick around, I mean go to our social channels. That's where the details will be. And we will announce them once we have a location finalized. But hopefully we will see you at one or both things in Boston. It's going to be great. And Brittany, it looks like we have some fun new podcast reviews. We do. Like I said last week, ever since we put out that little call of action, please leave us some reviews so we can get our overall rating up. Last week, 15 new reviews. This week, one, two, I can't do math, five more reviews. So shout out to 
Ty Snydene. I think I said that right. Um, also, <laughs> Foy Coco, who was my starter Pokemon, who left this comment, and it, the comment is, Rihanna should be in every episode and talk more. Ten minutes of Rihanna, somewhere in every episode, Rihanna rants. Heck, she can pre-record it, but a piece of my life is missing whenever she is absent. Remedy Aww. this, and I can generate the motivation to hack Apple Podcasts and drop a seven-star review. Ooh, seven stars. For seven I like stars, it. I'll do it. See? Okay, there we go. Like Andrea said, it's going to be spicy. Also, shout out to Adrian, Mike, Stealthy6, and Okonkwo. Thank you for all of your lovely reviews. We appreciate you. And today's show is brought to you by Shopify and Factor, but we'll tell you more about that later. Let's talk about this Elden Ring news. Fresh off their Game of the Year win at the Dice Awards 2023 from Software and Bandai Namco have announced the Shadow of the Erd Tree expansion is officially in development. So I saw this announcement via Twitter and it looks like they don't really have any details. They're just like, we're working on it. And by the way, we've sold 20 million copies. Pat's cell phone back. I'm like, nah, dude, I'll pat you on the back. 20 million copies is no joke. It is no joke. I feel like this is the sort of thing I want to be incredibly excited about. Like, I want to overanalyze the screenshots that we got because I love doing that. I don't know anything that's going on. So my naive ass ventured over to some Reddit threads where people are breaking all this down. And oh boy, I did not last more than 20 seconds in that. And I was like, <laughs> no. my brain, girl, my brain was breaking i don't know who any of these people are and i was like cool i'm happy for all of you but yeah i mean like i i want to get back into elden ring really bad and maybe oh whatever i'm never it's not that i'm never gonna go back to it but i think even if they do drop this dlc i don't know if i'll be able to hop right back into it i probably need to get good again so yeah we'll see. yeah yeah i had mentioned maybe this is now the time where i start over on pc because of the Oh. multiplayer mods yes. that are available we there. I need to try that. I have it installed. I haven't used it yet. Oh, I see. I haven't gotten that far yet. I need to rebuy <laughs> it. What are some of the mods? So they essentially made a mod where you can just do co-op with your friends and you can essentially turn off invasions. Oh, okay. Now we're yeah. talking. God bless you mod community for coming up with this thing, but I haven't tested it out yet. Yeah. I feel like if I'm going to be playing a game on PC, I owe Khalif some time in another game first, yeah. which I haven't gotten to yet either. You know? But now Lightfall is here. So. There's just so many games to play, and I've barely touched the PSVR 2. Anyway, we'll get to that in the next segment. So if you're excited about Shadow of the Earth Tree, we're happy for you. Once we get actual details, <laughs> we'll let you know. But until then, you know that they're working on it. And they took home quite a few trophies at the Dice Awards. You know, it was really neck and neck between them and the team at Sony Santa Monica, who also won a bunch for God of War Ragnarok. Poor Guerrilla Games just shut out of all of the awards. So sad. That game was very good. It was so very good. good. Yeah. Oh, Bummer man. deal. Yeah. But, you know, the Game Developers Choice Awards are still to come, and they still sold a bunch of copies. And they did great work. So hopefully, just because they didn't get trophies, they're not too sad about it. They did get a um, really great shout out in the piece from Blessing Show over from our friends at Kind of Funny. And he praised their representation for black skin and hair in the games, which, as we've talked about, I think on the show and lots of other places, was phenomenal. So shout out to Gorilla. You did a great job. People noticed. And shout out to Blessing to you for that episode. What oh, yeah. an amazing piece of content. And like Reese said, if you haven't seen it, definitely go check it out. I certainly learned a lot. And I think it's just Blessing has an incredible message. And he talks to other people who can relate and speak to the issues. And it was just 
it was great. It was so, so, so good. And it's getting a lot of traction, too. So shout out to him. Yeah. Kind of funny games, everybody. YouTube.com slash kind of funny games. You can also find them where you find what's good games on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Friends yeah. of the show. All right. Next story. Forspoken developer Luminous Productions is merging into Square Enix. This is a bit of a head spin because you might be thinking, wait, wasn't Luminous Productions already part of Square Enix? Aha, they technically were not. They were just being published by Square Enix. So this is kind of more of like a businessy story. Not a whole lot to analyze here other than businesses merging to make their assets stronger together and business be businessing <laughs> business be businessing <laughs> yeah i mean it, i kind of also read this a little bit as you know we had talked about forspoken and how we didn't really expect unfortunately a sequel to that game just because of its kind of mediocre reviews and whatnot so yeah like you know this was a subsidiary of square enix it's interesting it has some history there because it was formerly the studio that did final fantasy 15 it was hajime tabata-san studio he's obviously moved on and now if i had a guess yeah this is just gonna merge in and now we're not really going to see Luminous Productions anymore and probably what they had been working on is going to be L-scrapted, which makes me sad. But, you know, it does say down here that they will further their group's ability to develop HD games. And my first thought is great, HD Final Fantasy IX, bitches. Let's do it. Andrea doesn't like it when I talk about all the bodily fluids that'll eject from my body at the same time. So I stopped myself. I I appreciate the hesitation. I appreciate it. We're still so early in the show. But yes, I think you are not alone in wanting a remake for that game if it's going to come. Who knows? I'm still uh, looking for um, some other stuff out of that studio first. But um, I'm glad to hear that you know, they weren't shuttered. Yeah, yeah. That game is doing well, though. It's not doing bad. I, when that game came out, I think we also likened it to like a Days Gone where the critical reception to it was very mixed, but the commercial reception to it was very good. That game did very well. And a lot of people had a lot of fun playing that game. And I think Forspoken is in that same camp. I think because of some of the marketing snafus that happened around Forspoken, they had a little bit of a stumbling out the gate. But I think the more people find that game, the more that they're going to enjoy it. And I hope that they update it and fix a couple of the issues that we had because I want to do more more magic stuff. <laughs> do more, do more magic. magic. More magic. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on to the next story. The one that left us all going, um, excuse me, what? Is this real? Is this a real story? This isn't real, right? Yeah, it's, it's not absolutely real. Absolutely real. Rihanna, maybe you want to read this one. Yes, baby sure. girl, please read it. <laughs> sure, it's short and I'm sure we'll laugh a lot. This is... Uh, <laughs> the 2023 Olympics will feature, air quotes, esports. <laughs> the way and, you said uh, esports. <laughs> this, is, this is from olympics.com. So yeah, straight from the polo horse's mouth. The Olympic <laughs> esports series, OES, is a global virtual and simulated sports competition created by the IOC in collaboration with international federations and game publishers. It's going to start on March 1st. Both professional and amateur players from around the world are invited to take part in these qualification rounds across featured games. We're going to get to that in a second. It'll culminate in live in-person finals at the first ever Olympic Esports Week from June 22nd to 25th in Singapore, 2023. The Olympic Games Twitter handle at Olympics said, your e-time has come. The Olympic <laughs> eSports series is coming, ah. and this is your chance to participate. Are you up for the challenge? So if anyone out there is especially <laughs> adept at the following games, this is your opportunity to become an Olympian. Here we go, friends. Buckle up. <clears throat> <laughs> 
<laughs> archery, baseball, chess, cycling, dance, motorsport. Okay, that one's legit. Sailing, tennis, and taekwondo as esports. I, I mean, <laughs> I ha- what? Like, what? So you know? the one moment of legitimacy in uh-huh. this exciting entry into the calendar year motorsport it looks like Gran Turismo is going to be featured heavily and they've been tweeting that they're going to be involved with the qualifications and then the final competitions that's awesome because motorsport and sim racing is dope and it deserves a bigger stage I don't know yes. if any of these other ones are sports. have anyone else confirmed if their games are a part of this there's been a handful since the tweet went out and the reception has not been very positive or enthusiastic. It is hilarious fire. Some of the roasting that's happening is is really hysterical. I think that there are some people in the esports community that are honestly trying to be like, wait, is this a thing that we're covering? Like, is this a real thing? Yeah. Who are the players that are going to be playing? And it kind of insinuates that it's open to the public, but it's not really open to the public. People are saying it's invite only. And it's all just like, I think a a lot of people being like, wait, what's happening here? And obviously these sports are very traditional sports that you would see in the actual Olympic Games. And so you would think, well, maybe that makes sense that they're just a digital version of the actual sport that's in the Olympics, but that's clearly not esports as we know it. And esports is a global community. And so it's not like, oh, maybe just the members of the IOC got it wrong because the IOC is also a global body of people. So I just, ah... I don't, I'm just so flabbergasted about what to think about this. I just don't know. It's incredibly out of touch and really upsetting. Right? I can't wait to see how this is produced. I can't, you know, like, how exciting can you make? It's fine. You know what? I'm not, some people are really excited about this and I get that. And maybe this is someone's time to shine. But damn, if I'm going to watch esports chess on the Olympics, you know what I mean? I mean, whoever's like beast moding and archery on the mobile <sighs> game, like, good for you. Like, I'm glad you have a moment to shine. And I hope you rest yeah. your thumbs and are ready to rock. But like, this is just fun. <laughs> Fucking weird. It just is. <laughs> like they couldn't get what like one esport league to to like none none of them were interested because I'm sure everybody wants where, to be where involved. The, where the fight? I mean taekwondo, but like what game? What, I mean I'm not trying to. What game just features taekwondo like that? I mean, you think taekwondo is an esport? You think FGC? There are yeah. plenty of companies who have games in the FGC community that are active in tournaments that would probably jump at the chance to work with the IOC on something. I, I know that there probably is some complications in these companies being from all different countries around the world and the incredible weird like how do you handle copyrights trademarks because esports are based off of brands that exist in the real world right Mm -hmm. whereas the olympic games doesn't have to get licensing and rights and pay money to anybody to put baseball on tv right baseball is just a a game that you play right (laughs) and when players from around the world compete they don't compete underneath a professional banner they compete for their home country right and so it's a very different vibe than if we're going to bring league of legends for example to the olympic games it's like well what is riot going to charge the ioc to use 
League of Legends copyright trademark and all of the characters and the art and all that. Mm-hmm. I have to hope that the IOC at least had those conversations to be like, hey, if we were going to start in an esports for the Olympic Games, would you guys uh, would you guys be down with that? And I'm sure some of the people they went to were like, yeah, we'd be down. Here's what it would cost to get us to the Olympic Games. Because you might know that we're the biggest deal in the world already. We get hundreds of millions of people around mm-hmm. the globe already just watching us. So if you want to work with us, then it's going to cost you. And then the IOC probably said, no, okay, we're good. <laughs> that in my mind is how, kind of how that conversation went. But, you know, League of Legends isn't the only pony show in town. <laughs> so like, there's plenty of other actual esports that exist that maybe wouldn't be as, you know, expensive to work with. I don't know. This to me means who the fuck is going to watch this? Just gonna, I'm just going to call I'm just going to call it out. Who the fuck is going to watch professional people playing a sailing game? <laughs> Real life sailing at the Olympics is already hard enough to watch. <laughs> I mean... Like people actually competing in an athletic event is hard. Like people playing a video game about sailing. I imagine the narration is going to be like that of a golf game where it's just really kind of quiet voices like this. And it's just like these little like sound effects of like the oceans crashing and like a seagull. Like how does that even work? Is this like Sea of Thieves or some shit? I would watch that. I would too. That's what I'm saying, right? I mean, I would definitely watch that. I just don't. I just don't think that's going to be what this is. No, I mean, of course they, not. Yeah, yeah, so they talked about the games, and some of the some of the games are like, um, okay, uh, what is uh, what is this game? I don't, I don't understand where you found where you found this game. Okay, yeah, and that was my question earlier. What games are there? Like, what? Who? I'll see. So I'm going through the website, so Olympics.com, which is the IOC site. They do have like a play now button on their website. So if you click the play now button, it takes you to the game. So archery is a game called Tic Tac Bow. Baseball is the WBSC eBaseball Power Pros. Don't know what that game is. Chess is literally just chess.com, which led me to my tweet of, isn't esports chess just regular chess? Like, (laughs) it's not really any different. It's just a game where you play on a board and you move pieces around. Like the actual physicality of that is not really different in a virtual setting as it is in a real world setting. Whereas obviously cycling, IRL and cycling in a video game, different. <laughs> Somewhere in here, the Webster's Dictionary definition of esports just was never applied. Just Correct. Cycling is a reimagined, they said, on a game called Zwift. Dance, though. Battle moves in Just Dance. So Ubisoft hey. is in there with Just okay. Dance. Okay. okay. Nice. Um, Race for the checkered flag, as we already talked about, Gran Turismo. So that is an established esports Absolutely. and tournament scene. Sailing is virtual regatta set for your virtual sails. Taekwondo is virtual Taekwondo and then tennis clash. Okay. Hey. Why? It's fine. <laughs> it's, you, I, like, here's, here's like, here's what I think this is really stupid, but I'm also trying to realize that some other, someone out there, whoever's game is being featured on this, this is probably an incredible honor and a really big fucking deal. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to empathize with that. And I know that's really cool. I think, again, like, it's, it's just one of those things that I think we all know how this is going to go down. I have to tune in because I have to see how this looks. Like, I, I just, I have to watch it. You know, you can't look away. So that's my stance on it. Is it my time to become a professional virtual sailor? Yes. <laughs> I think it is. I will train rigorously with you, Andrea, every day. I'm actually on worldsailing.com, which is one of the sailing games. And yeah, it sure is. It's the most popular sailing game in the world with more than one million players per year. Virtual regatta. 
Okay. That's a low pool. You got a chance. Yeah. I mean, a million players sounds like a lot, but in the world of video games, that's actually, you know, a relatively small pool of players. You're correct. Maybe this is my chance. Shout out to anybody who's competing. Anyone whose games are featured as Britney is saying, like, that's awesome. Like, we're not laughing at anybody who is really excited for this. It's just positioning this as esports at the Olympics is maybe the wrong way to sell it. Yes. Rihanna, you nailed it. Yeah. That's it. None of these games are dumb, bad games, to be clear. We're not making fun of the games. I think we're all kind of very much like, we want to support this. I remember when the conversation about esports joining the Olympics came up years ago. And everyone was like, it would be amazing to get esports on that global stage and to feature this community of players from around the world. That would be awesome. I don't think any of us saw it like this. And I'm just like a... I'm still just a little like, but I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, looking at Virtual Regatta, I mean, it looks like a Dreamcast game. And it's like, listen, if you're going to give video games a huge stage like that, it it is just, and we can't help but feel disappointed that you're not showcasing what we think is the best of esports. I mean, Gran Turismo, like, that's great. Great choice. But even something, granted, I don't know if Nintendo would ever let this, but even something like Splatoon there would be fun. It'd be something different and showcase the wide variety of what video games can be. But when you're showing, you know, I don't know if this is just, I see this virtual regatta on Google Play and that's the only screenshots I'm seeing. I mean, like the base, the baseball game, baseball power pros. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think about baseball games and the different types of games that are out there that could be competitive, it's not this one. I mean, and I know that MLB The Show is is a, you know, United States game, but turns out baseball is the most popular in the United States than in any other country. So I'm no, I just... It's just a head scratcher, you know, it's just kind of like a who made these calls. And when you look at some of the names associated with some of this consulting, I think there's some questions people have. And I look forward to more information from the IOC and people in the esports community deep diving into what's happening here. And it's also coming up very quickly. It's happening in like three months. Viewing party. Let's have a viewing party. I'm down. The time zones may be challenging, so we need to figure out when they're going to be showing it. But I absolutely would love to see this. (laughs) Yeah. Anywho, if you are interested in learning how you can potentially compete or participate, Olympics.com is where you want to go. Check it out. Let us know what you guys think. And uh, on that note, (laughs) let's just uh, finish up the news here and then move on to some hands-on because we got lots of stuff to talk about in the next segment. Some exciting news from NetherRealm Studios, Mortal Kombat 12 has been officially confirmed for a 2023 release, according to IGN, as if we needed any more gigantic games confirmed for release. And we still don't really have a clear picture of what's happening in the fall. So it's only going to get worse, everybody, for our wallets and for our time. But I'm very glad to hear that it's going to be coming back. Loved Mortal Kombat 11. Thought it was phenomenal. Warner Brothers Discovery made the announcement during their earnings call. And the clip from the call that's being passed around Twitter includes confirmation from Andrew Slavin, Warner Brothers Discovery's Executive Vice President of Global Investor Strategy. Say that five times fast. (laughs) And there's lots more to come, quote, including the highly anticipated Mortal Kombat 12 and Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League set for release with ambitious launch projections. So Mm -hmm. exciting times. And in case you missed it, Sony had a state of play last week. Surprise! Woo-hoo. We saw a lot of that Suicide Squad game. We did. Thoughts? Nice. Lots of flying. 
Yeah, I think one of my favorite comments from the video that I was watching was gravity sure seems optional in this game. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and I was like, that's cool if you're going to be a superhero or a supervillain, I guess. Yeah. In this game. I think, uh, you know, I didn't really see much of it because Resident Evil 4 was right before that. And so yes. I was just like on this high. So I can't really speak to that one. But I feel like the reception to it overall was pretty lukewarm. Yes, it was. I'm reserving judgment until I can actually get hands on with it. Absolutely. I'm hoping it doesn't go the way of Gotham Knights, where it looked really good in previews and I had a lot of fun playing with it. But the long tail of the game kind of like pittered out for some people. This Rocksteady team is clearly not the exact same team that you know, made the Arkham series. I, th- I don't think that that needs to be, you know, reiterated. But in just case you didn't know that, there is obviously a lot of overlap, but it's not the same leadership that was, was there. But the studio ethos is the same. So I think people are maybe putting it unfairly into this pigeonhole of this is going to be the next Arkham. And this game is different. Like the vibe of this game, the kind of overall design strategy of this game is is different. Obviously being a focus on multiplayer is a huge difference. So I'm hoping that we get to see more and that we get to play it and that is cool. So fingers yeah. crossed for that. There was also a bunch of other third party announcements in the state of play. We're not going to go over all those because that happened last week. So please check it out on the PlayStation blog if you're interested. Pokemon Presents happened, Brittany. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? Oh, well, you know, let's just say there never mind. That was gonna be very dirty. I'm not gonna say it. Um, I'll I'll PGify my original response, which is gonna say I have yet to actually watch the Pokemon Direct. All I've done is read blog posts because I can't see any reason to actually watch it because it was just so underwhelming. And granted, like I don't think any of us really expected any major <laughs> <laughs> Nice. You've just been waiting for that moment. I have been, yes. (laughs) That was perfect, but that's how I feel. Um, Yeah, I think there's just a few disappointments. One is like, where the hell is Pokemon Red and Blue? You just announced Game Boy games and Game Boy Advance games. Where are those old school Pokemon games? The only thing I can think of is they just don't want to release them right now because they don't want to take people away from whatever the hell else Nintendo has going on. We know Pokemon Stadium, we know it's coming to N64, not even a glimpse of that. So that was weird. I mean, they, Pokemon Sleep was reannounced, you know, the Pokemon trading card game. We got the DLC expansions for Scarlet and Violet, which, you know, anyone could have predicted that one coming. So, like, I get it. You have Pokemon Day. It's always on the same day. And it's hard to create sometimes a narrative around a narrative that doesn't exist in terms of like, oh, we got so many cool, exciting things when you're beholden to a certain day. I get it. But, yeah, you know, whatever. I'm just trying to be grateful for what we did get. That's all I'm going to say Sometimes that. that's all you got to hold on to. And yeah, that's all right. That's fine. Like the hope that someday The Wolf Among Us 2 is actually going to come out because they've confirmed that it's being pushed to next year. Telltale Games CEO, Jamie. (laughs) Oddly. (laughs) Yes. But the good reason, or one of the reasons they said, is they didn't want to push the team to burnout or or shipping an unfinished game. Both are reasons that you don't want to put a game out before it's ready. So better to wait. Don't put your people through crunch. Don't put it out broken. Good. It's fine. We've been waiting this long. We can keep waiting. It's fine. It's fine. And Nintendo did finally confirm, nope, they aren't going to E3 2023, which is still boggling my mind just a little bit because an E3 without Nintendo doesn't feel natural. But 
the quote from Nintendo that they told to IGN is, we approach our involvement in any event on a case-by-case basis and are always considering various ways to engage with our fans. Since this year's E3 show didn't fit into our plans, we have made the decision to not participate. However, we have been and continue to be a strong supporter of the ESA and E3. Okay. I feel like there's tea behind this statement, okay. but I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm still, I'm still going down my path of, I think, you know, slowly people are just inching away from E3, and it makes me very sad. I mean, they did say at the end, we continue to be a strong supporter, because of course, they have to end it on a positive note and be like, yeah, we're not just like ghosting ESA and E3 by any means, but still, yeah, it's a thing. This is going to be a weird, weird year. It is. And it's going to be weird for a variety of reasons. Had a lot of conversations at DICE last week with different leaders from different companies. And what it feels like, the sentiment that I got was that even though people are coming back and people are going to events and things kind of feel like we're getting back to normal, the industry still isn't back to normal and that there's still a lot of concerns over COVID and pandemic and people traveling, but also a lot of these teams have still not caught up from being transitioned into working from home and how that's impacted their overall production workflow and pipeline. And I don't know if we're going to see that catch up for at least another year or two, if that. And I think we all were just hoping, oh, yeah, you know, 2023 is the year that we're back. And it's like, nope, not quite back yet. Turns out the pandemic was very disruptive and destructive in a variety of ways to people's lives across many different avenues. So I think that that is the unspoken thing that is still happening and why we're going to see people involved, but maybe not as involved as they would be if we weren't dealing with pandemic. So we can, you know, sit in our chairs and make guesses that it has something to do with the way the ESA or Read Pop is running the show. But I think that that's only a very small part of it. And the bigger part is, hey, we're just not ready. We don't have vertical slices to show. We don't have demos to show. We don't have trailers ready. Our teams are tired. They're overworked still. We're still trying to catch up. We need more time. That's what I think the real reason is. Just Andrea's theory on the whole thing. Okay, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, you guys, Brittany has some very exciting things to talk about, including her preview of Resident Evil 4 and Daddy Leon. And Rihanna and I have been playing Destiny 2 Lightfall. You know we jumped in this week. And, of course, some early PSVR 2 impressions. Stick with us, everybody. We'll be right back. of What's Good Games is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling custom enamel Dragon Ball pins or anime husbando portraits, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, where I'm primarily doing 
all of my shopping these days. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. It's super simple to use whether you only know how to point and click or whether you're a graphic designer. Shopify has tools for all skill levels. And thanks to the 24-7 help and extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. And what's incredible to us about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify is there to empower you with confidence and control to revolutionize your business and take it to the next level. It's your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify today. This is Possibility. Powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash what's good, all lowercase, don't forget. Go to shopify.com slash what's good, all lowercase, and take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash what's good. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by Factor. Power up for springtime with Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Get nutritious, chef-prepared meals delivered straight to your door, leaving you time and energy to tackle everything on your to-do list. Factor has delicious, flavor-packed meals to help you live life to the fullest. Choose from keto, vegan plus veggie, calorie smart, and protein plus options on the menu each week. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all of the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. With 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Enjoy meals for any time of the day with breakfast options like egg bites, smoothies, and more. Plus, replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash whatsgood50 and use code whatsgood50 to get 50% percent off of your first box. That's code what's good 50 at factormeals.com slash what's good 50 to get 50% off of your first box. Welcome back, everybody. It's the second segment of the What's Good Games podcast. This is where we're going to talk about video games we have played and preview events we have been to because boy, oh boy, there's some fun ones this week. And you know, we got to start with our girl, Brit. And Resident Evil 4. So I asked you earlier, is it Resident Evil 4 Remake, the official name? But you're like, nah, they dropped it. It's just Resident Evil 4. I think it's just Resident Evil 4. I think this is the thing that people do these days. Like at Call of Duty, it's just Call of Duty Modern War. Like they, I don't know. It's confusing. But I think this is the reality we have to adjust to. 
Okay. So it's a hard one to adjust to, but we can do it. So Capcom invited you to see it like behind closed doors or something? So, no, it was actually really interesting. So they just sent some footage my way. And they were Ooh, like, here, here's okay. some stipulations. You know, I want to call out everything I talk about is speculation. So I got to sit in my, also shout out to Herman Miller for their embodied chair that they sent me that I'm absolutely loving, by the way. It is a review, but I just want to say like, oh. My God! Feels Wait, like this chair? This chair? Yeah, I'm trying to spin it around. Oh, oh you? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it really makes a huge difference. And what you said at one time really like cemented it for me. It was like, yo, like you sit in this thing all day, all week, and I was getting ready to pull the trigger on it and just pay for it, obviously. And which then, is what I did because right. I got it during like the height of the pandemic in 2020, right when they released it, and I was just like, I can't. I'm in this chair all day. It's messing up my back. I was like, I don't care how much it is. Put it on the credit card. I'll deal with it later. <laughs> yeah, but it's worth it. It's like a bed, right? Like, you know, the investment. For me, anyway, I can already tell a huge noticeable difference in my butt and my back. So it's it's great. Anyway, so um, this is not a Herman Miller review just yet. This is about Resident Evil 4, the remake. So yeah, Capcom sent some B-roll my way, some footage, and I got to look at it and tear it apart and overanalyze and speculate the crap out of it. But I'm not going to get too in the weeds with this because, I mean, let's be real. I don't want my lovely co-host eyes to glaze over. And um, they... They aren't allowing us to show that footage, correct? They are, but it has to be edited. Mm, so, okay, so yeah. maybe we can put something together later. But for now, I have got the trailer that came out in the state of play, which happened last week. So if you guys want to take oh, a look at that. Oh, oh my God, look at, look at his arms. Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, so my, my some of my big takeaways from the footage that I t- got to look at. One is this game is definitely taking a much more serious tone. I know I've talked about that before, but I think this really kind of cemented it for me. And I say that because I got to see a segment. Oh my God, what is that thing? That is a Plaga type B. And that is the second type of Plaga that can insta-kill you by biting your head off. That's what that is. Oh my God, it's got so many teeth coming up from so many orifices. Girl, it's just how I like it. Uh, Yeah, they're really scary (laughs) and you want to definitely dispose of them as soon as possible. Yeah, so anyway, like the darker tone. So, you know, like there's a little silly bad guy in this game and his name is Ramon Salazar and he's this little like weasley looking dude and he's pretty like all of Resident Evil 4 is very campy right but in this remake they're definitely giving like Ramon for example much more villainy aura to him he acts more like a villain would and some of the the one-liners that we used to know and love like Leon would say like no thanks bro he doesn't say that in this he has a more serious and composed response and part of me was like, oh, I'm going to miss that. But then I also remember, and I had the same thought with Final Fantasy VII, the original game still exists. So if you're someone who's like really kind of struggling with this new tone of the Resident Evil 4 remake, just remember, the old game will always be there for you. Those silly quips will always be there. And plus, there are still some pretty funny one-liners that I got to discover in my time playing the game and also through looking through the B-roll. So like, there's some, still some surprises in there, which is really nice. Some other stuff we're seeing in this trailer and just in the stuff I saw is how much they're really expanding on the level design. So in the original, there's a huge intense scene out on the battlements of the castle. And essentially, as you walk up these stairs and boom, you're there, it's like one of your first introductions to the castle and the fight takes place. In this game, though, you have different corridors and doors you need to go through and rooms. And there's conversations between you and Ashley talking about what you see around you. And there's a whole new room that we see in here with, with the Plaga Type B where Andrew was like, why are there so many teeth coming out of so many holes? Like, that's a new area. And so I think this is really going to be a lovely fleshed out version. And I think this is going to be great. It's going to give newcomers a fully realized experience and it's going to give returning players 
stuff to look forward to. And so this, I feel like, and I know I'm getting really antsy and excited, this really could end up being like the best Resident Evil game. Like this wow. could be it. And that's hard for me to say. I mean, it's weird for me to say because I've Resident Evil 4 was never really my favorite game growing up. I missed the T-virus. I missed the zombies. I didn't like this action heavy, whatever the heck it was. And now seeing this remake and seeing what they're doing with it and really appreciating how much effort is going into it, I'm like, I get it, you know? So it's very interesting to me. Obviously, like, I've only played personally the first maybe, like, 30 minutes of the game. So this is all just based off of stuff I'm seeing and little things I'm noticing. The other thing that I thought was really cool, and I know Game Informer came out with a pretty big feature a couple weeks ago, but if you haven't seen it, there are now side quests in Resident Evil 4, which is pretty cool. And so essentially it's easy. You just go around, pick up blue pieces of paper, that are like, hey, find me a golden chicken egg. And then you get a reward of spinels, which are these jewels, and you trade them in for special items. So it sounds like the side quest can be very simple like that, or it can be much more in depth where you have to actually hunt what's called the colmillo, which is, uh, I think it actually translates to canine in Spanish. And that involves its own puzzle. And it's kind of like difficult to actually get to that point. So I think these side quests are going to range from very simple to a little bit more intricate. And again, like something to look forward to, something new. And it's really cool that they even thought to add this to add this into there, which like, hell yeah. In the game, you have a briefcase, and I'm sure you ladies have seen this at some point or another, where you have to actually arrange your items inside the case. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty iconic, right? This time around, we actually have storage. So it's, you know. Oh, what right? a novel idea. What a novel idea. So everything you don't want to fit in your case, you just stick it in storage, but I'm pretty sure you're going to have to be more smart of like figuring out what you want to take with you and I don't know how frequent these uh, storage cases are going to be so that's really cool but then wasn't that actually- something that was in the Resident Evil 3 remake yeah storage cases have been around essentially in all of the games except for the original Resident Evil 4 that I can remember so yeah I mean it makes sense but it's like a cool like okay this is again modernizing it in a good way and then the case itself you can actually customize different cases to give you different perks so if you have one case it's going to be one thing if you have another case it'll for example drop more resources and you can equip charms on your case and in the demo I saw or the b-roll I saw it was chicken which means when Leon eats chicken eggs he gets more health I mean, like, so when you open up your case, you have a little dangly chicken. I know. Like, it's just little stuff like that. Um, Let me see if there's anything else major I wanted to talk about really quick about all of this. Uh, Oh, well, we get to see a little bit of Jack Krauser um, gameplay. And he is a character that had a really confusing presence in the original Resident Evil because... He had made an appearance in Dark Side Chronicles, but even if you had played, it's a whole thing. Anyway, no one really knew why he was there. Like, what is your point of existing, sir? And it wasn't <laughs> until a lot of people didn't really look into Dark Side Chronicles or didn't play Dark Side Chronicles. And that game, which was a spin-off, it was an on-rail shooter, is what gave Leon and this guy named Jack Krauser some history together. And then Resident Evil 4 is a thing that exists. And then this random guy out of nowhere, like who's like shirtless, full of body paint, is like, hey, comrade. And everyone's like, why do I care? about you but now it looks like in the remake that they're actually giving him some more context so hopefully his whole and he does play a really important role in the game but you just don't really know about it unless you read all the files or if you do some digging so again expanding on the story that we have expanding on the levels giving it a shift in tone and just kind of making some modern day conveniences with the storage case like I'm so excited for this I think this could just be super incredibly amazing and Leon's hot and 
I can't get over how hot he is. I'm sorry. I can't. It's it's literally distracting. I'm like, sir, like, I didn't really, in GameCube, like, yeah, he was fine. But now, like, it's guns for days. Like, his arms are the size of my thighs. And I'm like, I mean, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Anyway, this game looks incredible. So, very, very excited. (laughs) (laughs) We are happy for you. And I look forward to trying it out. I've been really enjoying my time you know, exploring the Resident Evil franchise thanks to your fandom for getting me in. And I am also planning to try Resident Evil Village at PSVR 2 at some <laughs> point. I don't know why I'm going to do that, but, you know, for science, I'm, I'm planning on it and I'm um, just adding it to my list of things to do. But uh, yeah, we'll talk about PSVR 2 in just a moment because Rihanna and I jumped in the Lightfall, baby. Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah, we swing. Yeah, yeah, Spider-Man, exactly. Shout out to uh, the one and only Regiment 13, our What's Good Guardians ride or die. So into all the What's Good Guardians, I'm glad to see the clan active again. And I think we do still have some spots. I know people keep reaching out to me asking. You can search for our clan in the Bungie app if you guys are interested in joining. We are cross-play now, which is super fun but yeah so destiny 2 had a massive expansion release this week and thank you to bungie for sending us codes so that we could play and we're just scratching the surface because the game literally just came out (laughs) like like 24 hours ago and so we haven't had a ton of time to play but looking forward to to playing more rihanna what are your first impressions of the opening hours that you've played Lightfall. Uh, first impressions, I'm glad Ark is OP because it's my favorite subclass, so that makes me happy. Um, Definitely got lots of buffs in oh, the yeah. last couple of seasons, yeah. Oh, yeah, very cool. And I play a Tickle Fingers Warlock. And like Tickle Fingers? Yeah, like I do the Palpatine thing and just electrocute everyone. There's an actual name for that subclass. It's called Tickle Fingers. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's been great getting back into it. And for a lot of folks who listen to the show, they know I am a lapsed Destiny 2 player. I am constantly trying to dip my toe back in, but immediately overwhelmed by how complicated it is and how much time needs to be invested to be competitive. I love the PvP in Destiny, and so I'm always very motivated to try to get up to fighting speed, but it, it's really hard to do. Uh, Uh, There's a lot of PvE missions, lots of really high-level strikes, and even raids that you need to do in order to get all of the most competitive weapons and loadouts. So it's tough, but this is really enjoyable. So Lightfall is a new campaign. It offers a new subclass. Once you finish the campaign, you get a couple previews of it if you're playing it, but you don't actually get the full subclass until you finish and it's called Strand, and it's really cool. You can Spider-Man swing. Um, the Warlock has a really cool super that sends a bunch of little pets out that go chase people down. And I think they're cute, but they also murder people and then hang out with <laughs> me when they're done, which, you know, I still cute. We have a new enemy called The Witness, who also you know murders people, but kind of cute. And it's... <laughs> A yes. very compelling yes. story okay. so far. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Let's let's stop at that for a second. Yeah. I tweeted I tweeted about this because when we were playing, we were like, he's kind of got like anime eyes, the it's witness. And he's, eyes. The, the witness. witness is like a really like awful big bad in the world yes. of Destiny. And, and they've been building towards his storyline for literally years, years and years of Destiny lore, yeah. building towards us, you know, having a confrontation with this this being, this person. And I can't help but look at him and I tweeted, is is he just a Cupid doll? I don't know. It's just like these uh-huh. big old eyes. Here, I'll try to find like a moment in the trailer. So this is that's the Vala. Oh, there's, there's oh, amazing. Zooms. plenty of close ups. <laughs> 
It's just it's, adorable. It's got little guy, high cheekbones. This. Oh, what? Big, beautiful eyes with lots He's, of love. This person is the big bad. The mm-hmm. big bad in the game. Very scary. You know who it reminds me of, Andrew? It kind of reminds me of Thane from Mass Effect. Oh, Back a little bit. Yeah. yeah. The eyes. Yeah. The eyes. I would not bang that guy, the witness. Would not bang the witness, though. I would bang Thane, though. I mean, the witness looks, ugh. When you said kind of cute, I for a second, I was like, oh. No, no, not cute as in I lust after them, but cute as in, oh. Come here, pinch your little cheeks. Like, <laughs> let's just pinch those big eyebrows, those big eyeballs. Yeah. I know Ren is listening to this, like rolling hair. over, Roll. being like, "I can't deal, I can't deal." He's so bad in so many ways. You also have these really cool characters in this amazing, like, it's not cyberpunk. Well, cyberpunky kind of world. You have Neo Muna on Neptune. Neo Muna on Neptune. You also have these two characters that swoop in like Silver Surfer and they have really, really cool backstory. I actually was super into the lore of it. They do a great job of presenting it to you in the game so you don't have to go chasing down Gormars and understand what the fuck is happening. Ooh, good. They look really cool. These two, more bangable, okay. definitely. The Cloud Striders. The yeah. Cloud Striders, more bangable. And I don't want to give too much about their backstory because you should really okay. check it out if you want to play. It's a very compelling story. I want to get back into it. We've done a couple of missions. Like Andrew said, it's only been a day. And we have day jobs to attend to. But yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. I think I might actually finish this campaign. I struggled to get Witch Queen done just because of the timing in the year. But yeah, I want to unlock Strand and and see what kind of weapons resets there are. Because, you know, my edge transits may have have let me down so far. But I got to find some new favorites. They're gone though, right? Isn't that the thing? There was a bunch. So that was a rude awakening for me to be reminded that... There was a big cleansing that Bungie did in advance of Lightfall launching. And they, throughout the seasons, they'll like sunset seasonal content. They've always said, you know, we're going to keep expansion content because, you know, we charge a lot for that and we don't want to take it away once you've bought it. But the seasonal stuff, you know, kind of comes and goes. They can't keep it all in the game. It would be unmanageable. The game wouldn't work. It, It would break. And one of the things that I think the Destiny community loves about Destiny 2 is that it's feels like such a flawless, polished game. I mean, clearly there's balance issues that come up from time to time, but the game rarely breaks fully, right? Like it feels like one of the most seamless multiplayer experience that exists in video games. And shout out to the team at Bungie who works on all of the behind the scenes tinkering to make multiplayer work, especially crossplay. The shared world experience of drop in, drop out multiplayer in destiny is not to be understated it is so freaking flawless to be able to just drop into your friend's game we can run to completely different parts of the map like when we were playing i was off on a different part exploring a lost sector and getting my ass kicked and then (laughs) running away from the lost sector while rihanna and our our fire regiment were off you know, fighting enemies in a different part. And it all just works. I think because it's so seamless, people forget the incredible amount of technology and work that Bungie's team does to make it just work. Because so many other multiplayers don't just work, right? They're broken in a lot of ways. And so I think this is a great reminder of like, hey, Bungie's doing really cool stuff. And if you're interested in getting into the FPS MMORPG that is Destiny 2, (laughs) now is a great time to jump into New Light, start there, which is their kind of handhold into the lore and the world of Destiny. And then, you know, you can probably skip around some of the expansion stuff if you want to just jump into the Lightfall content because they auto-level your character anyway, so you don't need to worry about 
feeling super underpowered, but you will be a little narratively lost because we're pretty deep into Destiny as a as a franchise, I should say. I mean, it's like you can't, well, you wouldn't expect to just jump into World of Warcraft right now and know everything that's going on without doing some you know, research, some watching some guides and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm glad to be back. I booted it up a couple of times when I was on baby duty and I was like, this was a mistake. This is why I haven't (laughs) been playing destiny. I forgot that this game doesn't pause even when you're playing by yourself. There's no pausing. And so that's going to make it a little challenging for me to make good progress, but uh, I'm going to work on it. (laughs) But yeah, more to come, more to say on destiny coming soon. But Rihanna, you and I both have access to PlayStation VR 2. I want to say thank you to PlayStation for sending the review unit over so I can check it out. It unfortunately arrived literally the day that my baby got the stomach flu. Y'all may have seen me tweet about my vomit catching incident that happened, solidifying, you know, another notch on my belt as a parent of a thing that happens. And so I was dealing with that, not playing PSVR 2, and then dice happened. So I still need to set some time aside. But what have you been playing? So I... <laughs> put a video of this on the internet publicly for everyone to see. Oh, um, yes, I saw it. Yeah, me playing Horizon <laughs> Call of the Mountains. So PSVR 2 is a vast improvement from what I experienced in PSVR original, Prime, whatever, the first one. I do not get motion sickness at all. And I've tried oh. a handful of, you know, little like five second demos, like the preview things that my husband, Danny, who is the one who was sent the review copy from PlayStation, has downloaded. But Horizon's the, the game that I played the most. I did a, about an hour. And it feels incredible. You can't really fathom how VR looks and feels and sounds until you try it. And I think that is one of the major challenges in the value proposition in selling this to people because it is very expensive. You also need a PlayStation 5. And you need a decent amount of space in your room and and there's there's lots of limiting factors but if you can get this to work you are inside the game like there's no other way for me to describe it it's not looking at a screen that's all around you you are in the game you're hearing it you're feeling it the haptic feedback in the controllers the way that the controllers and the camera senses where your fingers are even if you're not touching a button is really responsive movement feels very natural it has you kind of like move your arms as though you are jogging in order to run It has optional eye tracking, so it will know where you're looking if your eyes are open, which for the horror game players out there, good luck. And it will react to that. They're considered prompts and inputs in the game. So it is incredibly advanced technology and super, super impressive. And the fidelity is fantastic. And even in an imaginative, very colorful, very exaggerated world like Horizon, it felt like I was really there. Like, that's not possible because, you know, this world doesn't exist. But it felt like it was there. So much so that when I was dangling over a 100 meter drop, I had a full on panic attack. Oh, no. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. My legs started shaking. I had to quit. I had to nope out of it. It is that real. And I say that to say, if there's a game that has high visual fidelity and it's made to be photorealistic or at least in a real imagined world, be careful. I would say if you have any sensitivities to different environments that might be stressful or triggering, go in with you know full knowledge of what you'll experience in the game because it puts you inside of another world. Oh. Now, there are some, like this one, Pistol Whip, I have seen Danny play this, and we're seeing this on our, our video if you're watching at youtube.com slash what's good games. Really fun. Great music. You feel like you're, you know, a fast draw, shooting, shoot 
them down. I don't know. I'm doing something kind of like Western in my head, but it doesn't look right. It's fine. Finger guns. Yeah. Finger guns. Yeah. Like, yeah, get them. But it is a lot of fun. <laughs> but I will say, like, like, just be cognizant of the fact that it's going to put you inside of an environment that you've never been in before. And y- your, your mind and your body may react strongly to that. So that is the one warning I will give people. But it is unreal. Like, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. That's got the, me all sorts of hot and bothered. Just, it, I'm the so scared for y'all to for play those controllers, games. too. They're beautiful. They're lightweight. Yeah. The design is sleek. And I just tried out the Vive, the high-end Vive at CES. And it has similar controllers, but different. And I, the form factor for these is, I mean, I, I prefer it. I think that they're nicer, even though they obviously have different technology built into them. What that system is doing in this one is different. But of all of the VR systems, that I've tried. And I've tried quite a few of them since the days of the Rift prototype, which feels like ancient history now. Mm -hmm. I always enjoyed my time with the PlayStation VR the most because it was the most comfortable headset and it felt like the game experiences were the things that I was craving in VR. I also have, you know, had really fun times with the Quest 2, you know, the portability of it. But I'm very much looking forward to deep diving into this system. But I'm glad you mentioned the cost, Rihanna, because I think that's not to be overlooked. It is incredibly expensive when you incorporate the fact that you must have a PlayStation 5, which only recently became available without, you know, watching a flash sale or something here in the United States. So add that in with all of the software that you have to buy on top of the price of the PSVR 2. I mean, and you're easily spending... $1,200 probably. Plus yeah. games. I mean, how comfortable is the headset? Fairly comfortable. It's hot. They have earbuds that they suggest you use with it rather than cans to help, you know, get some circulation to your head. Can headset, wonderful. It's really good for immersion. It just gets too hot for me. It fits over my hair. I was doubtful, but it did. It fits over my glasses and I have big frames. The comfort is really impressive. It has several points of adjustment and some that lock, some that move naturally if you need it to. So I would say they've done a really good job with this form factor. Hell yeah. 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 I'm yeah, now I'm excited for you to play a Resident Evil. No, it will never happen. Um, mm. Well, mm-hmm. you know, never say never. All right, our last thing to chat about before we get into our fantastic feature interview is the Wolong Fallen Dynasty preview. Brittany, yeah. let's talk about it. Oh, let, let's talk about it. Yeah, there's, it's a game. It's a very, there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, Yeah, so first of all, thank you to Koei Tecmo and Xbox for the review code. This game is coming out March 3rd on Xbox One, PlayStation, Xbox Series XS, PS4, 5, and PC. And uh, worth noting, day and date on Game Pass. Can't beat mm. that Game Pass deal. I mean, really, it's it's pretty freaking incredible. So this is a game developed by Team Ninja. You know them from Ninja Gaiden, Dead or Alive. And I think this is my first Team Ninja game I've ever played. So that's kind of fun. And so please bear with me as I try to talk about these action-y elements that I am so unfamiliar with. Because I'm definitely stepping outside my comfort zone with this game. Um, I would say this is more of a preview. I'm only 15 hours in. And the team has said it can take up to 40 hours to complete. 
So take what I have to say with a grain of salt. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts to this game. So excuse me for watching on YouTube as I'm going to be very obviously looking at my notes here to try to remember everything. So the synopsis of the game is that it's a, quote, dramatic action-packed story of a nameless militia soldier fighting for survival in a dark fantasy version of the later Han Dynasty where demons plague the Three Kingdoms. Players fight off deadly creatures and enemy soldiers using swordplay based on the Chinese martial arts so like already sounds freaking kick-ass and yeah this game lots of action to this game who would have thought a teen ninja game would have had a ton of action <laughs> who would have thought <laughs> who would have thought and so just another brief overview so the game is broken into parts which are essentially chapters and each part has several missions that you have to select from a screen they are in chronological order though so it's not like you're just like jumping around a story like there is one cohesive story definitely not an open world so i want to make that very clear i think a lot of people will probably wrongly compare this to Elden Ring and A, like that's just unfair on so many levels, but B, this game is not trying to be an Elden Ring, so I just want to also make that very, very clear. Well, the Team Ninja doesn't do like that type of Soulsborne combat. And this is like where it gets interesting because I don't know what everyone has a different idea of what like Soulsborne means in this day and age. That's fair. That's fair. Right? So, and I'll get a little bit more into that because there definitely are similarities into how you like accrue chi and you level up and if you die you lose half of it and you have to go to Avengers yourself but, but we'll get into that in a second so the areas they do drop you in are they I guess we're still calling them sandboxes big old sandboxes and they have different paths and corridors and scenery you know one minute I was in a really lush beautiful colorful forest the next one I was in someone's like torture dungeon and it is a fun um the level design and the areas are fun and unique and I also want to say that I am playing this game with Jason we are playing cooperatively so thank you for the two codes because I would definitely not play this game by myself just want to make that disclaimer because it, it is not the kind of game that I would sit down and enjoy playing by myself and getting my ass kicked over and over again. So anyway, so the idea of each level that you're put in is you're dropped in and you want to make it to the boss. You want to kick the boss's ass and go on through bad self and advance the story. Obviously, it's not that simple, but if you do want to beeline it, if you want to be dropped into this map and make your way to the boss in one go and have a crack at it, you can do that. However, I would not recommend it. That would, would not end well for you. But, me, you know, some people are into that. Some people are really good at that sort of combat. So I think about the man in the loincloth who always defeated the bosses in Elden Ring that way. So it's there if you want to do it. Uh, so the kind of weapons you will use in this game, your primary weapons are going to be swords, sabers, spears, glaives, stabs, dual swords, pole axes, hammers. So you, you're very like steel, lots of steel in your hand. You can have, you have normal attacks, which are like in on an Xbox controller. I think it's X. And then you have Y, which is your spirit attack, AKA your heavy attack. And that's pretty much it. I haven't come across any combinations really or anything like that. It's pretty simple sword play. And your heavy attack, the spirit attack consumes spirit. And think of that like your mana gauge. And each weapon you get is assigned random martial arts. So it's like your RBX, RBY. It's going to be a different skill for every weapon you pick up. There's a lot of <laughs> intricacies here. And so you can have two weapons equipped at a time. So if you want to quickly swap between them, you can. So, But you don't only have these swords at your disposal. And I want to focus on the combat because I feel like that's obviously what Team Ninja is known for. You also have what I, what I deem to be kind of complementary weapons. These are things that are going to help you in your fight but you can't just rely on them alone. And the first one are going to be what are called wizardry spells. Wizardry? 
wizardry spells. And you can have four of these equipped at a time. Um, I believe there are over 70 different spells. I don't like using the spells unless it's like something pretty passive and easy, like press this to heal. I don't like trying to get into the right position and cast a fireball. That's never been my play style. But Jason has been the mage of the relationship. And so he's been having a good time, you know, mixing and matching and, and trying different spells. He has said that he feels you know, that they're not the most impressive spells he's ever seen. And I attribute that to being that this is probably because these spells aren't meant to be, you're not supposed to play as a mage in this game, right? This is just supposed to help you along your way. So that's probably why the spells aren't super badass or there's no like kill switch with them or anything like that. You also have ranged weapons. You have bows, crossbows, throwing knives, poison knives, and then you have divine beasts that you can call upon based off of ancient Chinese mythology. I shouldn't say ancient. I don't know that. I don't want to speak on that, but they are Chinese divine beasts and it's they're really cool and you get a little history lesson with them too. Um, and you can summon them down to attack your enemies or give you, um, and you, you and your party buffs. Obviously, there's a really important dodge mechanic in this game. And there are a lot of unblockable hits. And so if you can't master that, you are going to get your ass kicked. All in all, the combat feels very, very I've said fast paced, but very quick, very responsive. How I would expect a system from this team to feel. It's a lot of fun for me. You know, I am a button masher at heart. If there's too many combinations, I completely nope out because I can't memorize that shit. So I just get to go around and mash X and Y and kind of hope for the best. This game is difficult. I want to make that very clear. And there are other little like intricacies I don't really want to get into right now, except for this other one that I'll talk about in a second. It took me and Jason, because you have to do the tutorial separate. And then after that co-op opens up three hours to get past the first boss. Ooh. And that, yeah, it was the Wait, most, yeah. First boss, three hours. First boss, three hours. And I think that's because we didn't understand how the game actually worked. And I don't know. I know this is a different team that makes Wild Hearts. But my last game I reviewed was Wild Hearts. And that is another Koei Tecmo game. And the tutorials <laughs> have just not been the best. And I think this is just like, it's the sort of game where, again, there's so many moving parts. You just have to get in there and play it. And then once you figure it out, once it clicks, it works. But until you get to that point, you're like, what am I doing? So it's a small area. Like the first area is small. It's meant to be like training. And it says in the top right corner, it's like recommended level, like one or something. And I think we were level like 13 by the time we actually finished this boss. And I was worried because it was very difficult. But after we defeated that first boss and we were able to link up and play co-op together, the game got significantly, I don't want to say easy, but much more manageable. And you just have to play smart. You can't just go in and whack a bitch and hope for the best. You have to like be smart with your timing, your attacks, your, your magic if you're going to use it. So if this sounds like anything you would enjoy, don't let that first area, especially if you're someone like me, deter you from trying to experience the rest of the game. I almost wish there was a way to skip that entire thing and just start with co-op. But, you know, we'll just hopefully people will get past it. Or maybe y'all are just way better at video games than I am. <laughs> That's all I can say. So the, the kicker here and the one thing I really want to focus on, the thing that makes this different from other games is something called the morale rank. And this is what I didn't understand in the beginning. And this is why we got our asses kicked. So this is separate from your character level. And how, what this is, it is a gauge that you have that is always above your, um, think of it as like your mana bar. And every time you enter a new level, it resets. Okay. And it has a max rank of 25. And how you increase this is by defeating enemies and landing special attacks. You are going to see enemies, and this boss in particular we fought, let's say he had a morale rank of 15. If you go to that fucker with a morale rank less than 15, it is going to be hard. 
if you increase your morale rank before you attack the boss, it is going to be significantly easier. This is interesting because it feels like the team has given almost the difficulty to the players. So like I said, if you want to beeline it and go to a boss with a morale rank of zero and that boss has a morale rank of like 20, I feel like it's almost going to be near impossible. You can do that though. That's an option and you're going to have a very, very, very hard time. But if you want to increase your morale rank before you go to that boss and rank it up to as high as you can, which is 25, you're going to have, again, a much easier time defeating it. And so it's up to you to decide, you know, kind of like how difficult do we want this fight to be or how easy do we want it to be? The problem is your morale rank does drop if you get hit by critical hits or if you die. There's a whole other mechanic that makes no, it so you're... No, I'm you not, die, I'm, it goes down. It goes That's down. That's exactly what I don't need in my life. <laughs> but there's another mechanic. And again, there's a lot here. And I, I think it's called your fortitude rank. There are flags scattered around the battlefield. If you activate these flags, it will permanently increase your fortitude for that level. So even if you do die, it'll never go below what that is. So it's, okay, a well, little that's bit, good. it's a little more forgiving that way. And if you find an easy grind spot to get your morale back up, you can go at it again. And when you go back to the boss, you will get, I think, the morale that you lost. So it's okay. not like it's gone forever, right? So it's it's forgiving in that way. And you will lose your chi, which are your level uppers, your runes, if you will, if you're thinking of Elden Ring. And, but if you, you'll always get it back if you lose it from the boss. Now, if, granted, if, you, if a little plebe kills you and he kills you again, <laughs> they're gone. It's your own so, fault. Suffer. It's your own fault. It's your own fault. Suffer. I mean, yeah, there's just, again, like the first like 13 hours of this game, I feel like have just been me wrapping my head around it. And I actually have some questions out to PR to try to get some clarification on some things because a lot of it just isn't clicking or making a lot of sense. But I mean, there's a whole progression system. There's tons of loot. I will say I really am not a fan of the loot in this game. It's way too intricate, way too min maxi for me. And I don't enjoy it. But I'm going to give it more time. I'm going to let it click a little bit more. And I'll talk more about it next week. But like, there's so many people out there that this is going to be 100% their cup of tea. And I will say playing it co-op with someone, it is now my cup of tea. Not something I would play by myself. But I enjoy a challenge when playing with someone else. And if you want to even make it easier, you can have an NPC play alongside you. Or you can have up to two actual friends play with you too so but jason and i have me jason and then an npc we invite in the hottest one that there is i always invite him to join us um <laughs> nice yeah so anyway Wolong, very very interesting game a lot of interesting mechanics happening here i didn't really know if i would like it but i'm really enjoying it and we play a couple hours every night after we put jace down and yeah i'm, I'm really surprised by this one so, okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I, I like an unexpected, an unexpected turn of events in a game that you normally probably wouldn't even consider covering. So yeah, that's awesome. I, I love it. Well, great. Well, we certainly had no shortage of stuff to talk about. It looks like we have some updates to give you guys in the next week or two on some things. And now I would love to, without further ado, kick it over to our fantastic interview with the wonderful Dr. B and Dr. Cohort from TakeThis.org because they are celebrating their 10th anniversary this year, which wow. is you know why we were able to get them on the show and they gave us so graciously some of their time. A lot of fun topics covered, so please stick around and check out right now. What's good, everybody? Andrew Renee here with a very special interview with our friends at Take This. Please welcome to the show Research Director Dr. Rachel Cowart and Clinical Director Dr. B. Welcome. So glad that you both are here. We're thrilled. Yeah. For folks that are not familiar, What's Good Games has a long history working with Take This. You probably have heard us say it's okay to not be okay on the show many, many times. And we were very excited that Take This partnered with us at our launch 
launch way back in 2017. But Dr. B, take this as an organization has evolved quite a bit since then. I would love to hear from you about what you guys are working on now and some of the big initiatives that you guys have going. Well, yeah. I mean, back in 2017, our big claim to fame was the AFK room, which was like the first of its kind mental health support spaces at big conventions. And we still do that. But oh, my God, have we expanded since then. Since 2017, we brought on Dr. Cohort as our research director. We have Dr. Kelly Dunlap as our community director. And we've now got a discord of, I think, almost 1400 people. It's like the sweetest, nicest, most supportive space on the Internet, I think. But what's really freaking cool is we've had so many ideas on the back burner since 2017 because we were super tiny, did not have the infrastructure to pull these off. And now we're starting to get them out into the world thanks to this generous grant from Riot. Thank you, Riot. This includes amazing free resources on burnout. For content creators, we're doing more videos on, you know, mental health support, especially for content creators, because it's such an underserved and needed thing. But also Dr. Cohort's original research on a lot of different things right now, extremism, recruitment through game channels funded by the Department of Homeland Security. I don't want to get too much into that. I heard, Dr. Court, about this project that you were working on, and I was fascinated about the scope of it because it's something I think we've heard of on mainstream news a little bit here, a little bit there, usually with the generic video games are bad conversation, which we all know is false, right? And I think it's so fascinating what you're working on. So for everybody who's watching and listening, could you give us kind of like a high-level view of some of the big pillars of your project? I mean, I'm really excited to embark on this project funded by the Department of Homeland Security in conjunction with Middlebury and Logically. And basically, we're looking to create industry-focused resources about how to best combat extremism, radicalization, and recruitment in gaming spaces. And it is moving beyond this discussion of games are bad. The research does not say games are bad. Games are great. Great spaces for community, great spaces for mental health, great spaces to have fun. But there are some bad corners in it. So how can we collect all of this knowledge that we have as a research community, as advocates, and as the industry... And take this information and put it together so we can all, you know, make games a better place for everyone. No small task. Your work cut out oh, for you, as people, <laughs> people like to say. So yeah. about how far are you into it? Because I know sometimes these research projects can span years. Are you just getting started? Are you kind of in the middle? We're about four months in. It started late last year, but we're really going to push forward this work at GDC in March this year, where we're hosting a series of roundtables with people from the industry and really gleaming from them their best practices. So it's all just starting to come together now. Well, that's great. I mean, certainly a big year to come back for video games. So hopefully you guys have a lot of fruitful conversations. I saw even Dr. B at DICE recently. And I know, Dr. B, you put on a workshop there. And while, you know, some of the comments that people said at the workshop are obviously off the record, were you happy with the reception of the content that you brought? Yeah. So the workshop that I did at DICE, and that's another thing. My God, I forgot to mention that like our workshop program has expanded mightily since 2017. I think we've worked with 40 studios in the last two or three years alone. Amazing. Uh, The workshop I did at DICE this year, last year, it was about crisis communication in leadership. Like, how do you empathically talk to people in emotional distress as a leader? And this year, it was about creating psychological safety in your game studio, because it turns out basically you want 
the freedom to be creative in a creative industry. And you want to, you know, solicit as many ideas from your studio team as you can. And so we talked about how to make that as safe as possible to do so. So you get all the best work. And it turns out it has all of these business correlates like lowered turnover, reduced burnout, reduced cost for medical leave and all sorts of stuff. So the reception seemed to be great. We ended up going over by half an hour because people had so many questions and they were so engaged until we got kicked out of the room, basically. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that the development community and publishers are starting to take that seriously. Obviously, we've heard the conversation about crunch for several years now, it feels like, but it definitely doesn't feel like we're moving forward in a positive direction fast enough. And it was interesting how that was really a pervasive theme in a lot of people's conversations at Dice last week. And I'm glad to hear that leaders are talking about it in all corners of the industry, because that's the way that change happens by people actually acknowledging that there's a problem, right? Mm. (laughs) Yep. Wonderful. Well, I think I forgot to mention at the top of this interview that Take This is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year, which is excellent and wonderful. Do you guys have any programs coming up this year that people who are either involved with Take This or want to get involved with Take This can look forward to? Well, right now, we seem to be in this very much building space. You know, over the last 10 years, we've had all these wild ideas that we've wanted to do. And it was really over COVID that these big developers just came out and were like, hey, we see you, we see the good that you're doing, and we want to make that happen. Ubisoft gave us a grant to start this video series that uh, Dr. Kelly Dunlap and I are working on largely. The Riot grant was able to start a panel series run by one of our new clinical program managers, Cassie Walker. They are a stellar social worker out of the Chicago area whose whole mission is decolonizing mental health work. And they are putting together this amazing panel series on identity in gaming for marginalized identities actually led by mental health professionals who share that identity. The conversations are so much richer when everybody shares the identity as opposed to somebody like me going in and say, teach me about yourself. That's just, there's an element of tokenization there that we are trying to avoid. And Cassie is doing such a just a bang up job with that. And we've got several more coming in the next year. I do want to talk to you both about content creators since you know we have kind of touched on Dr. Court's research, which we're going to dive back into, but also this idea of burnout and content creation community. And clearly, as a content creator myself, I have a lot of thoughts about that, which we're going to put to the side for the moment. But I would love to hear from you, Dr. Cord, about this idea behind identity fusion and extreme behaviors. You know, even talking or hearing Dr. B say we're doing work on identity in different forms of identity and what that means. What is identity fusion and how would you explain kind of what that concept is? Identity fusion is a really interesting kind of niche area when it comes to just identity discussions generally. I mean, I would identify as a gamer. I think it's safe to say Dr. B would identify as a gamer. And it's an identity that is like separate. I'm Rachel and I'm this and I'm that and I'm a gamer. And that's just one of many identities. But identity fusion is when these identities fuse together and they become inseparable. So the best example I can give is my father was a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. There's like no tearing away like Marine part of my father and any other identity part of my father. So when we look at identity fusion among game players, what we found is an internalization of the beliefs revolving around kind of the darkest corners of gaming spaces like misogyny and racism and increased tolerance to these kinds of behaviors and increased endorsements to these kind of ideas. And the argument is in the work I do with fusion is 
that this normalization of hate in gaming spaces is really creating, I don't want to say gateway because I hate that word, but it's creating a vulnerability for extremist radicalization and propaganda dissemination and kind of just like the bubbling up of anything bad and negative to fester in these spaces because it has become so normalized. And identity fusion is just one of those aspects that may play a role. It's so interesting to hear you describe it because I think a lot of us who are in online spaces for video games have absolutely come across this. And we want to believe that in 2023, with all of the tools at our disposal, that online spaces are less toxic than they were 10 years ago. But it feels like it's not. It feels like it's more toxic in some ways than it used to be. And it feels like this identity fusion issue has a lot to do with that. Yeah, it's definitely related. And if you look at the ADL, uh, the Anti-Defamation League has done reports year after year during their third year, and they have found a steady increase in these kinds of behaviors in gaming spaces specifically. So it's not just your perception. It's fact. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm not crazy. (laughs) Uh, I I definitely uh, have felt that. And it's a thing here at What's Good Games that we always try to remind people that this is a place for anybody. As you just said, you identify as a gamer. I identify as a gamer. I don't believe identifying as a gamer is a dirty thing or a bad thing, though some people want to make it out to be. We want to remind people that we love video games because of the amazing art form that it is and the passion, the community that it builds. But sometimes that passion can turn into other emotions that people struggle to deal with. And I think that's really where people are getting into trouble, which is why we always refer to you guys at Take This and say, hey, are you struggling with some of the emotions that you're feeling and don't know how to deal with them or process them? You should maybe check out TakeThis.org. They've got resources. And maybe even you should talk to somebody about how to deal with those feelings instead of being mean to somebody on the Internet. Great advice. Great advice. And yes, thank you for making that point. We love games. We love games. Even if we talk about the the dark parts of games, we love games. And that's a big part of a lot of the conversation I know Dr. Cowart's been having with folks and I've also been having with folks. Actually, a lot of our psych staff has been having with folks in the last couple of years is basically moving beyond the moral panic. Because, you know, with every advent of new technology, there is this panic around, oh, I'm pearl clutching, will somebody think of the children? And great, cool, but it also inhibits a more nuanced conversation about what are the actual upsides and downsides of this new form of technology. And I think Dr. Cowart's work is so pioneering in that it is looking at the nuance. It's not saying games are bad. In fact, Dr. Cowart is one of the first to say all the amazing social benefits of games. What, you know, she's looking at and what Alex, her research partner, are looking at are, okay, where are the areas that we need to worry about in this amazing medium? I definitely think that it's something that needs to be looked at. And I'm so glad that you have funding. I'm not going to lie. It's a little nerve wracking that the funding is coming from the Department of Homeland Security. (laughs) I mean, we're all maybe thinking it a little bit, but they obviously have eyes on radicalized communities that start now. Historically, we found in online spaces and there are certain dark corners of the Internet tied to gaming culture that tend to breed this kind of vitriol in a way that other spaces do not, you know, like knitting corners of the Internet don't seem to be as angry for some reason. (laughs) No, you're right. I mean, I I understand the apprehension, but if it quells the fear, so to say, it is all about prevention. The grant program was all about how to fund counterterrorism and fund counterterrorism knowledge and, and information. So. That's wonderful to hear. I would love to hear from either of you about ways that people who are listening to this 
that are like, hey, what if I'm the one? It's got like that Reddit thread, right? Like, am I the asshole? Like, is, is it me? <laughs> that's, that's the problem. You know, are there resources that currently exist for people who want to take steps to address the behavior that they happen to see in themselves or perhaps somebody in their friend group or in a server that they're in, a guild, a clan, a whatnot? Trippy, I defer to you. <laughs> well, I mean, I I would say reach out to a qualified mental health professional because there are mental health professionals who, and Dr. Cohort, please stop me if this is an <laughs> overstatement, but my understanding of some of your research is there is an incredible overlap between the radicalization efforts and essentially forms of toxic masculinity. And Correct. there are therapists who work with, with basically how to live with the changing gender roles that we are presented with in society that outdated norms of masculinity aren't particularly functional. In fact, there's a reason they're called toxic forms of masculinity. So there, there are therapists who work with that. I've done work with folks on that as well. I've done work with folks who were kind of borderline radicalized. And so yeah, if you've got a concern that this may be you or there's someone in your life that's kind of fallen into that stuff, reach out to a qualified mental health professional. And we've got some great resources at takethis.org on how to find a mental health professional that works for you. The website, there's even a directory of, of therapists. So you can find yeah. someone in your area. I think we've got about 100 uh, therapists across the United States who on our website who say, yeah, we work with gamers in a really affirming manner that aren't going to be like games are bad. That's really wonderful to hear. And so glad that you guys have that resource available because I think sometimes taking that first step is is the hardest. You know, we've talked to the wonderful team at the, the Games and Online Harassment Hotline multiple times on the show. And, you know, Jay, their hotline director, talked about some of the resources they have. And it was interesting hearing from them about how they didn't expect people to call into the harassment hotline to say, it's me, I need help, I'm the one doing the harassment. And that was really eye-opening for me, hearing them talk about, oh, this was a challenge for them a, as an organization to figure out, like, how do we address this? We briefly consulted with them on that when that started to happen. And shout out to Dr. Sarah Hayes, who works with both us and the Games and Online Harassment Hotline, and we adore the whole team over there. They have done a monumental job of creating a welcoming and inclusive space, not only for the people who say, hey, this happened to me, I want it to get better, but also the people who say, hey, I did this, I want to be better. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's other parts of the business of Take This and the things that you guys do that aren't so serious, right? Obviously, it's very important work and these are great conversations to have. But I think the other part of mental health in video games that kind of gets overshadowed when we talk about some of the more serious things is all of the positive benefits of video games and some of the actual like science behind that. And I think that it's a wonderful thing that I, I love to be able to point to. Do either of you in conversations when people are like, video games are evil and bad, do you have any fun examples that you always kind of pull out of your hat trick to be like, well, actually, let me talk to you about just how good video games are. <laughs> oh, Dr. Cohort has books on this. I was like, <laughs> I don't 
have enough time. I don't have an anecdote. I have like a tome of knowledge. Kind of a good tidbit you can go to if you just need something to like say to your mom or, or something would be that games are play and play is important throughout the lifespan. We have such a misconception that play is only important in childhood, but it's associated with a range of mental and physical benefits to be playful and to do something just for the sake of fun. And if anyone's ever played a game, I, you know that games are fun and they're great for that. But also, you know, social community and stress relief and social learning. And I could go on for a while, but I won't. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to just stop. I think it's really fascinating. It's something that as professionals in the video game industry, all of us get asked about by people who don't work in games. I mean, besides the, well, do you actually play games question, which we're going to toss aside uh, for a little bit, uh, which is which is frustrating. <laughs> right? The idea yeah. that we actually just I mean, sit around playing fair. games. Um, <laughs> yeah. Too busy. But this idea that video games are for everybody and are increasingly being made by more and more people. And as you said, our form of play, I think it's wonderful that there's so many pieces of actual research that we can point to now to say, hey, it's not just something that you play and is a waste of time. There's a myriad of positive benefits for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I like to talk about is unintentional learning. Games can teach us a lot of things and they do so unintentionally. The example I like to give is when I was a kid, I played Math Blaster. I'm aging myself, whatever. (laughs) But it was like equations on a screen, right? That's not what I mean. I mean, like we play the new civilization and we learn about the different civilizations of the world. Or we play an MMORPG and we learn about resource management and leadership skills. And these skills are transferable. The research has found we learn them in a game and we take them into other areas of our lives. And then, you know, of course, community, which is always the thing I like to talk about because who doesn't love their gaming community? They're great sources of social and emotional support. You can access them almost anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And without the love of games, I would have never met Dr. B. So, you know, there's that. Honestly, same. Right? Right? (laughs) It's true. Um, I like to bring up examples of accessibility because I'm very public about being autistic and also ADHD and the... A lot of, especially online gaming communities, provide opportunities for folks who may need more asynchronous forms of communication. Maybe you're not as skilled at fluid back and forth verbal conversation with people, but you don't have to do that on online with games. You can text and type things out and find a connection that may be lacking in person. And a lot of the frameworks of games, because games are designed to be fun, games are designed to provide a a sense of mastery and accomplishment, unless you're a Dark Souls player, in which case, (laughs) God bless you. I I appreciate you. Frustration is not my jam. Games provide the sense of mastery and accomplishment. And for a lot of folks with ADHD, autism, various other learning disabilities, social anxiety, they become a refuge where we can feel a sense of strength, of autonomy, and even a sense of inclusion because we can find communication methods that fit our needs. So there's a whole conversation around games as a form of accessibility and building community that is not being had enough. I think this is the first time that I've had that conversation, Dr. B. And I appreciate that even the idea of what like neurodivergence is, is as a conversation at large is finally happening as well. But that's Mm -hmm. a wonderful point to bring up that the way that we communicate in gaming communities is inherently different than a lot of other communities are and is more welcoming. So to kind of wrap up this conversation, because listen, I could keep both of you here for another hour just talking about stuff and maybe we'll do a PAX panel or something. It could be fun. If people want to get involved, either 
with Take This as Mission or with some of the research that you're doing, Dr. Coart, is there a way for people to to do that? What are some of the best resources? Let me ask you, Dr. B. Um, <laughs> we have a website at takethis.org um, where you can learn all about what it is we're doing and how to be involved. I would say that our Discord is probably the best place to interface about the research specifically with me. I live there and in the Food Channel. Those are my two favorite channels of the Discord. Yeah. And we stream um, once a week. So come hop on and watch us play games. And like you said, it's not always serious. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Kelly Dunlap and Dr. Sarah Hayes and uh, Liv, one of our community members. They stream every week just about. Um, and we just go and have a good time and just share our love of games together. That's wonderful. We'll make sure to put both of those links in the show notes for everybody. So if you want to jump into their Discord, you can find it. And of course, the website. And for both of you, where is the best place to follow each of you individually? Dr. B? I mean, I'm pretty much the Dr. B on all the socials. T-H-E-E-D-O-C-B-O D-A-C. I can't even spell my own handle. This is I have degrees in psychology, not spelling. It's defensible. But it's T-H-E-E-D-O-C-T-O-R-B as in boy on pretty much all the socials. Yep. And I can be found at Dr. Coert, D-R-K-O-W-E-R-T, everywhere. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. And we are very happy that Take This is celebrating such a a monumental anniversary. We look forward to hopefully working with you guys more later this year. And for everybody listening, again, check the show notes for all of those resources. And remember, it's okay to not be okay. Thank you again to Take This for being on the show. Again, we'll have all of those links that I mentioned and that they mentioned in the show notes down below. And we love their motto. It's okay to not be okay. And um, hopefully you guys can check out some of those resources if they are interesting to you. All right, that is our show for the week. We will be back next week with even more video game chats. Stick with us on our social medias. What's good underscore games on Twitter. We're trying to upload some stuff on TikTok at What's good games if you're on tiktok we're trying to work on our youtube shorts youtube.com slash what's good games so please engage with us on those platforms it would be good to hear or if you guys are interested in that kind of stuff let us know feedback we appreciate it until then have fun playing some video games this weekend we'll see you next week bye everybody